Hello, and welcome to Never a Dull Moment, a talk show and podcast for angels and founders. Ziad of Boston Harbor Angels, his co-hosts, and his guests have fun discussing and debating all topics from the world of startups and entrepreneurship. Hi, Ayeli. Hi, Ziad. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Doing great. (laughs) So good to have you. Um, We're lucky to have you. Let's be clear. We're very honored and lucky to have you. And I've known you uh, for many years now. And um, I have so many questions for you. So many (laughs) questions, especially that I just did an episode right before this one with with six Black entrepreneurs. And I know you've been involved with younger entrepreneurs, helping them with all their challenges. So let me start by asking you a simple question. To become an entrepreneur, right? People are born in families, in locations. Does it matter who you are and where you're from if you to get the right opportunities and tools and resources uh, to be an entrepreneur? Well, uh, yeah, that's a loaded question. So uh, first, I just want to say thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I, we, we consider Boston Harbor Angels great friends. And as you said, we've known each other for many, many years. Um, so, you know, there, there's no limit to individuals who have amazing creative ideas that could turn into viable businesses. And the notion of uh, who has those ideas and who's able to bring those ideas into fruition, into reality, um, that's where there starts to be some differences and some separations based on opportunity. Um, And so you just talked about having this wonderful meeting with entrepreneurs of color, uh, Black entrepreneurs in particular. And, you know, in the community where I live, which is in the Black community, um, I see wonderful business leaders, entrepreneurs with great innovative ideas who are trying to uh, bring those ideas fully to market. Um, One of the things that is always a barrier is Um, just the level of access that those brilliant entrepreneurs have to capital, um, access to opportunities, access to people who will open the doors for them, give them that big break or to give them that that opportunity to bring that that product fully to market. So you find very often in the Black community, people with brilliant ideas, but they're bootstrapping those ideas because they're not able to get the um, the larger access to capital. Now, why does that happen? Um, There's a couple of reasons. One is that, um, you know, when we talk about capital, we have to talk about social capital networks. Uh, They always say it's not just who you know, but who knows you. And so uh, typically in communities of color, they may or may not have the friend who's, you know, an uncle who's a banker or somebody who's in finance or someone who's already an investor that they can easily go to to make that introduction. So just getting into that circle where money is flowing, that's a whole leap unto itself so that the entrepreneurs are actually meeting uh, the right people who can open these and then there's just the, you know, all of the disparities that go into who actually gets capital, the real cash, the real, you know, dollars to invest in their business. And that's very much tied to um, all sorts of issues around implicit bias and systemic racism that factor in often. 
Uh, and again, there's lots of brilliant ideas in all communities, um, in, in including communities of color. And I would say some of the best ideas are there because of the resilience and the creativity that you find. Because if you live in certain neighborhoods, by the sheer fact of where you live, gives you resilience. You're tough. You can uh, exactly right. face adversity. Yeah. It's like someone like me who grew up during a civil war, or um, you have mm. a sense of entrepreneurship that is built in or uh, survival skills. That's right. Entrepreneurship. I always say that in in uh, communities of color, entrepreneurship really is a survival skill and the ability to to hustle and to you know to have that drive and the grit and the perseverance and that resilience is really key and the creativity that just abounds. Uh, we have lots of the small mom and pop businesses when you come into the neighborhood. Um, and so many of those businesses, there's so many restaurants that could be a chain or you know so many business ideas that could be so much bigger if they uh, the entrepreneurs behind them did have, the same opportunities as um, uh, their counterparts. Uh, and that's the whole concept of building your network, as they say, build your network before you need it. But yes. in some cases, you can't even build your network because you don't have access to those to those areas. I mean, in Boston, that's right. you can drive or go to some of these hubs of accelerators of organizations that help mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. other cities, it's probably much, much worse. Yes. You know, and, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think people tend to do business with people who look like them. So it tends to become almost like a closed circle, not intentional, but that the, it ends up being, where, um, you know, very often investor circles are majority male, majority white. I know BHA has done a lot of great work bringing more women uh, into that community. And I think that's really important. But to break into those communities, you could be an entrepreneur of color um, in the black community. And maybe you've also you went to college, went to a Bridgewater state or a Framingham state here in Massachusetts. But that was not necessarily the circle that was going to get you to the higher levels of capital. So there, you know, discrimination sometimes also takes the form of, well, what college did you go to? Uh, you know, what did, where did you study? Um, and the circles that you're swimming in are limited to those circles that, you know, a lot of us make our contacts through higher ed. Um, and so the school you go to very often sometimes will predict the extent of the network that you have that you can actually find. And wow. and and I know with your with your work at Build the nonprofit, you also helped younger students. Absolutely, yes. And I think you know I always um, you know first of all, Build is such an incredible organization. We are a national organization that teaches entrepreneurship to high school students uh, all across the country, and we've had lots of wonderful folks from BHA who have been involved with Build. Uh, Mick Williams, may he rest in peace. Uh, always a, a huge champion for youth entrepreneurship and for the BUILD program. Uh, Jeff Arnold's been a mentor as well. You, Ziad, have been to many of the events as well. Um, and what I think is so important about programs like BUILD is that, one, it's teaching entrepreneurship to students of color, majority Black and Latinx youth, uh, who are in underserved and, and under-resourced communities. But these, these communities 
are not just under-resourced, they're underestimated because there's so much brilliance and creativity that comes out of those communities. And I think that's one of the beauty one of the beauties of a program like Build is that the exposure goes both ways. We're exposing young people to the world of entrepreneurship, giving them mentors from the business community, helping to open their eyes to a whole nother world that they probably didn't even know existed. Um, so they start to understand the world of business and finance and capital and all of the different terms that go into marketing and investments and so forth. But on the other side of that, I think what people from BHA found as they came into the school to work with these young people, they really realized just how brilliant they are, how much opportunity matters, and how being a mentor can actually be the key to opening up the door for opportunity for young people who might not otherwise have had those same opportunities. So it becomes very much a two-way street. And I've always heard mentors say, well, gee, I, I got more from that experience than I even think, you know, I was able to give to the young person. They just feel so transformed um, by being in that two-way. Because some of the, some of these young people have challenges that others can't even conceive of, right? At the younger that is age. so true. Yes, yes. I mean, sets, you know, yeah, it depends. I mean, so I don't want to paint a broad brush over the black community because the community has um, people of all different income levels. And I think sometimes people sort of make a blanket uh, assumption. Oh, if you're from the black community, you're low income, you're poor, you're struggling. Um, there's certainly people who are um, doing well and there are people who, you know, are sort of you know, in the middle there, the middle class, the black middle class is thriving in the black communities. But there definitely is the poverty um, that you also experience as well from uh, some families in the community. And it is really hard to break out of poverty. I think you, know, you and I were just talking about this idea of uh, not attacking the poor, but, but, but attacking poverty and the, the systems that are at work that, that uh, maintain uh, the poverty for so many families. And when you are in that situation where you are having to overcome challenges for housing, having inadequate education in the schools, because not all of our schools are still very separate and unequal. Um, so not every child gets a high quality education. It's something that many white families take for granted, but that uh, black families have to really struggle to find high quality schools within their communities. Um, basic things like transportation, like can you get to the places where um, the opportunities are? And we take that for granted very much so in a city like Boston, which has, you know, although we complain about our transportation system, it does get you around compared to some other communities where there's not even, you know, really the ability to get around um, the city or the community. Um, and then just trying to overcome, again, the implicit bias and some of the systemic racism it makes it hard for people to break out of poverty um, in order to have a better life for themselves. Um, and a lot of that is, again, you know, really looking at, uh, you know, if you think about what, what are the conditions that set up economic success, very often it's the families that we're born into and the opportunities that we're given from within our own family. And so when you imagine if your family is starting with nothing or with very little, right, and they're starting, you know, and there's so much wealth in other ways. So very often we think about poverty from 
you know, um, you know, even though you're in poverty, you can have a wealth of riches in terms of the connections and the resources and the richness and vibrancy of your family and your and your community and your culture. Uh, but still, the the finances impact so much more, so so many other things in terms of the opportunities that you'll have uh, in that family. So helping young people to um, break out of poverty, to to break out and to actually experience a full thriving life means people have to open the door. People have to be willing to create those opportunities, open the door to get involved as mentors. Uh, with the BUILD program, people got involved as mentors and business coaches and judges. Um, and then also just to invite in, into your circle, people who don't look like you. Um, it's getting developing that comfort level with people who uh, don't look like you, might not be in your community, but realizing that there's so much more that unites us um, as as people, as human beings, so much more that, that unites us than what there is that divides us. And, and in some cases, people don't want to move to have access to capital. They want to stay where they are. They love their, their community, yes. their neighbors, everything. They, they're happy. They just want capital and, yes. and access. It's not that you move and then and then if you improve your life, then you leave everything behind. You love where you are. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I, you know, I, I grew up in the black community in Roxbury, Massachusetts, and I was really fortunate um, to grow up in a middle-class household. My dad was a lawyer. My mom was a physical therapist. I went to Catholic schools and private schools. Um, and my father, who was a civil rights attorney, was adamant that you don't just leave your community because you're doing well. Like, you want to stay and be part of the community. And again, it's so vibrant and rich uh, with the culture and um, just this, this rich fabric uh, of the community. There's no reason to want to leave that, right? So you, you can still be successful in the community that you love and in the community that you care about. And part of the coming full circle is being able to give back and be a vibrant part. And be an community. example and a role model and, and people. Exactly. Uh, so tell us, you know, tell us a little bit about your bio, your track. I mean, you've done amazing <laughs> things. It would be great. And, and let's skip over the humility part here. Yes, I know. So, yes. yes so, uh, well, so my, you know, my road again, I was really blessed to be in a very supportive family with um, two uh, parents that cared deeply about education. Both had their bachelor's degrees they met in, in college and both had, uh, you know, master's degree, law degree. Um, and I'm actually also very blessed to be in a family that uh, going back generation, my grandmother uh, was a teacher. My grandfather was a principal, and that's in the days of the Jim Crow South. My family's from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, on my mother's side. Um, so education was always really poor in my family. Uh, it wasn't until I became a teacher that I actually saw the vast disparities in our public school system. Uh, I actually started my teaching career in Compton, California, uh, which, you know, was a, at a time, it was at the height of gang violence in the 90s. And just seeing the disparities of the, um, the lack of resources in the schools that I was working in compared to the schools that I had attended as a child myself, just really opened up my eyes to this issue around equity and access and opportunity. Because the young people were equally as brilliant, like 
full of energy, full of excitement. I was working with first and second graders and they wanted a rich and vibrant future for themselves. And yet their zip code was really um, predestining uh, them for um, a really challenging reality. Because as you said, too often a child's zip code limits the opportunities that they have. So I still believe very powerfully as an educator that, you know, education can be a great equalizer. It can open doors and it can open opportunities. Um, and, you know, I just devoted my life for the last 30 years as an educator, first in the classroom, as a classroom teacher, I taught for 11 years, uh, taught first and second grade, I taught middle school history uh, to sixth and seventh graders, um, and then ultimately got into the after school arena because I wanted to have an even deeper impact. And I felt that coming outside of the classroom, working with young people after school, and in external school uh, nonprofit programs gives you a little more flexibility in how you work with the young people. So um, I was with a program called Boston Learning Center, which was a tutoring center for 15 years. And then I found Build, which was such an amazing organization using entrepreneurship as a way to open young people's eyes, give them exposure to lots of different career paths and opportunities through entrepreneurship. Uh, giving students mentoring, teaching uh, all of those spark skills, what they call spark skills, uh, which are the 21st century skills, things like communication and collaboration and problem solving and innovation. Um, and that program, I was really pleased to be the founding regional executive director. So I brought Build to Boston. Uh, and again, it was in that capacity that I had some really wonderful partnerships with Boston Harbor Angels, um, and then went on to be CEO of the organization. So a wonderful 12-year run at Build. Um, it continues to thrive. There's a new CEO there that's just stepped in when I uh, stepped down after 12 years, and uh, his name is Bill Taylor, and I know he's going to do some phenomenal things to continue to grow the organization. So my journey has been one about really opening doors for young people. Again, you know, there's so much brilliance in the young people that I've worked with over my 30-year career. Um, and what they, all of those young people have needed is someone who believed in them, someone who would push them outside of their comfort zone, um, and, and someone who would open some of those doors, um, you know, really kind of providing some of the guidance um, to steer them in the right direction along the way. So it's now, been about others. It's always been about service to others. It definitely has, and 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 really using the power of education as the tool to reach reach young people. Excellent. And now you have a new adventure that is fresh, and then people will have to follow you to see what your new yes. adventure is. Yes, well, thank absolutely. You. I am now president of the Redstone Family Foundation. Um, so I am working closely with Shari Redstone and her family. Um, so uh, many people in, in Massachusetts will know of the Redstones who uh, had national amusements and then uh, Viacom. So it's a, it's a big media family and uh, they wanted to go deeper in their philanthropy. So I'm, I'm, I met Sherry through Build. Uh, she was actually on the board for Build Boston for many years. And so in this new role at the foundation, we're going to be focused on combating racism and anti-Semitism through education for children, youth, and families. So still working um, through the lens of education and working very closely with young people, but also focused on this issue of um, you know addressing systemic racism, 
looking at civics, anti-Semitism, and really trying to protect the fragile democracy uh, that we now have today. Congratulations. Congratulations. And thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. And I hope you will join us again to keep developing all these concepts so we all learn more about all of this. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Zia. I look forward to coming back again soon. Thank you for listening to Never a Dull Moment. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And don't forget to rate and review us. Until next time, have a great day.